You are tuned to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. The following program is a rebroadcast of Salvation is from the Jews with Roy Showman. Hi, this is Roy Showman, and welcome to Salvation is from the Jews, the show on Radio Maria that celebrates the Jewish roots of the Catholic Church, or seen the other way around, the fulfillment, the completion of Judaism in the Catholic Church and in the sacraments of the Catholic Church after the coming of the Jewish Messiah, Jesus. Now, uh, I, before I get to today's show, I'm very excited about today's show. We have once again uh, a guest who will join us, another Jew who very gratefully has entered the Catholic Church, and as was the case with some of our previous guests, I hope we'll be able to speak about the infinite, infinite gifts that are made available to mankind only through the Catholic Church, which are sometimes more readily perceivable from people who come in from the outside. So I hope that she will uh, share her story and also share some of her perspective. But before bringing her on, let me just do a little bit of housekeeping. First of all, if you've missed any of our previous shows or, or would like to hear them again, they are archived both on the Radio Maria website, which is radiomaria.us, and also on my website, which is Salvation is from the Jews. Com. And uh, should you go to salvationisfromthejews.com, if you're not already sick of my voice, you can find both uh, a number of other talks and classes and, and television shows and radio shows and so forth that I did, uh, but perhaps equally relevantly uh, find out where I will be speaking if you wish to come to a conference or, or retreat or talk or parish mission or something, which I might be giving in the near future, not too far from you. So with that, by way of introduction, uh, let me not take too much more time, but rather go directly to our guest. So Claire, are you with us? Yes, I am, Roy. Great. Now, uh, let me give a 30-second introduction, just in case you might be too modest to, which is that, that Claire, I should perhaps more correctly refer to as Dr. Claire, is not only a medical doctor, but she's actually a well-respected professor at a medical school from a Jewish background who is now an extremely enthusiastic and grateful entrant into the Catholic Church. And I'm jumping ahead of the story, but even uh, certainly recently was uh, even considering the possibility of a change in direction from medicine and from being a professor of medicine to being a cloistered religious. So that's a little bit of an illustration of just how real the pearl of great price is when one uh, comes across it. So anyway, I'm sorry I jumped to the end or middle of your story, Claire, but maybe in um, compensation you should kind of start at the beginning. Okay. So, and and what the end of my story is, I'm not sure any of us know yet or though I guess our Lord in Heaven does. And well, let's just hope the end of your story and mine and all our listeners is Heaven. And at yes, that point, exactly, be because moved. that is the point that matters. Uh, my story, I'm not really sure where to begin with it, but one of the things I will say, just as sort of full, dis- full disclosure, is that for anybody out there who's listening who may be Jewish or maybe a Hebrew Catholic, I uh, was never considered by the Jewish people growing up a quote-unquote real Jew because I am only half-Jewish, and that half-Jewish happens to be on my father's side. 
so I grew up in a household where um, the par- my parents, because of their in part differing uh, religious backgrounds, decided that they would uh, wait or to um, allow their children to make their own decisions as to what religion to belong to and not, um, quote-unquote, impose a religion upon us. Um, nothing that at this point, if I ever had had children, would I recommend. Uh, it left me feeling um, not at home with my Jewish friends who felt that I was not Jewish enough for them and not at home with my Catholic friends because I had this part of me that was Jewish. Um, so, Clara, uh, yes. am I, uh, uh, let's kind of figure out, I, I want to figure out what you're comfortable with. Are you comfortable if uh, every time a kind of a interesting tangential discussion comes up, uh, we go down that path, or would you be more comfortable if I let you kind of hit your stride with your witness testimony and come back to those uh, tangents? No, we can go down a tangential because path. Because what you just if not, said. not, I will talk forever. Um, I look forward to that very much. Um, but maybe we have to wait for heaven for that. Um, what you just said resonated with me, and it's very interesting when you said that your parents didn't want to impose a religion on the children for two reasons. One is, of course, that totally negates the concept of truth, right? Because one doesn't impose truth. One just imposes an opinion or a preference or a viewpoint. And it reminds me of another um, friend of mine who's from a mixed background of one parent Catholic and one parent Jewish, who basically decided when she was, you know, 10 years old that both religions must be false because either, you know, because basically... If it was her pick, then neither one could be true in itself. So is that the implication of what you said? Yes, I, th- I think there was no there was no notion that religion that there was truth. Truth had um, long been given up um, by I think both my parents in some sense, and uh, there was no sense that one religion might be more true than another. And um, that what you know what now of course Pope Benedict has came uh, to call the dictatorship of relativism was certainly the the uh, milieu in which I grew up and the intellectual milieu and I didn't even have at that point growing up I had obviously a very deep longing for wisdom and and the truth but I never could have put it that way because. Um, it was never expressed to me that that concept existed. It was only there were different people and they believed different things. So, and then we were a family and we believed what we believed. Uh, there was there was no sense other than a very in, deep internal sense in me of seeking a wisdom where where there obviously had to be one truth that was right for everybody. So it was kind of an unmet hunger. Oh, it was absolutely an unmet hunger, and and like all unmet hungers, um, you know, one tries to satisfy them or fulfill them in looking uh, for things in the world, which of course I did, and I um, was very successful at doing that, both in terms of, um, you know, trying trying out many things that I shouldn't have in terms of sin, um, as well as then of course intellectually pursuing. Uh, the goal of being a physician. Okay, so, so I should let you get back to your story. I may owe you an apology for the 
No, that's so So I don't know. So I, at some point, like I said, I, I do remember as a child uh, having this longing in me and having a sense. I've always had a sense of the supernatural um, in in different ways, but I've also always, for instance, on Christmas, always had a sense that Christmas was about baby Jesus' birthday and and when we went to pick out ornaments for the tree, I picked out a nativity set. I I tried my best with my friends to get to church on Christmas Eve and and really have some understanding of what it was about. And I as I got older and and had more friends who were Christian or Catholic, I I came to see what they had and felt that I was really missing something and that there was something um I remember after getting to medical school, a friend of mine who, in a stressful situation, prayed the rosary and thinking that I would like to be able to do that also. Um, and um, so I I had a moment, as we all have moments, and really when we look at our, certainly when I look at my conversion story here, other people, they're made up of moments. And one moment came uh, when I was doing my pre-med work. It was uh, the summer before I was to start medical school, I was finishing up a course, and a professor of mine said to me that God had a will for my life. And it struck me, and it struck me not just that there might be a God, because at that point I really wasn't much of a believer in anything, but that not only that there might be a God, but that that God might know me and might have a will for me and might have a desire that I that I be in relationship with him. And it was just one of those moments, and I tucked it in the back of my heart, and I went on with my life, and I got to medical school, and I uh, failed growth anatomy. And I thought, well, you know, I'm not the smartest person I know, but I'm pretty bright, and I couldn't understand the human body enough to learn all its parts the first time through. And and I thought, you know, there must actually be someone who designed this because the, the human body is so brilliantly designed and works so brilliantly without us doing anything. I mean, imagine if you had to keep your blood sugar stable or something through your own knowledge of the biochemistry that goes on in our body. And so I, I came to an openness that that there was a God and that he did exist. And shortly after that, I had an experience with, um, I'm an osteopathic physician, so um, that has a history of its own, uh, osteopathic medicine, that is for another time. And I was visiting some osteopathic um, friends that I had in, in England, and and we were up one late at night and, and sitting by the, the beach at a lake in Wales, and um Sue and I were talking, and we were having a, just one of those very meaningful heart-to-heart women discussions after everybody else had gone to bed. And I, I really felt just this really nice, you know, feminine presence with her. And, and there was a pause in the conversation, and we looked up in the sky, and there was this glowing gold light in the sky. And it lasted for some time. And it was not fireworks, and it was not a shooting star. It was far larger than that, at least from my perspective. And and Sue and I looked at each other, and 
I didn't say anything, and she looked at me, and she said, did you see that? And I said, yes, but I didn't know what it was. And she said, well, shortly, just right before it had appeared, she had a thought to herself that how long it had been since she'd asked the Blessed Mother into her life. And in that moment, I completely knew that the Blessed Mother had been there with us, in conversation with us. I knew that God was real. I knew the whole story was true. I wasn't exactly ready to accept it. I went back to bed in uh, my tent that night and prayed that Jesus not walk into my tent because I really wasn't ready for him yet. <laughs> but I was more than willing to um, to accept his mother into my life. And I went home and I um, and uh, just set up a little prayer corner in my house and started praying and started when I could going to Catholic Church. And I knew the Catholic Church was the real church. Um, I was educated enough to understand that Protestant churches had formed because they were protesting the Catholic Church. And I knew that Catholics believed in transubstantiation and the true presence of God in the Eucharist. I, I didn't know how to phrase it that way at that point, but I knew when they were receiving Holy Communion, they believed that that was, that was transubstantiated and that was God. And so there was no, never any choice that I would go anywhere else or look around for anything else. I, I was given that gift of just you know, knowing that the Catholic Church was the way to go. Did did but uh did did your um hard heart uh link to the Blessed Virgin Mary uh that didn't play a role in, in uh kind of defining the Catholic Church. You just knew historically and intellectually that the Catholic Church had to be the true form of Christianity. Right. I mean I knew so little about religion that an organized religion. I really didn't know much about it. I didn't know that um, Protestants or had issues with Mary or that, you know, I didn't, I didn't know any of that. As a matter of fact, after I, after I actually came into the Catholic Church and started listening to converts from the Catholic Church and started hearing stories about people reading the fathers of the church and having problems with purgatory or Mary or this or that, you know, before they can convert, I never had any of that. I never knew any of that. I, desired in my heart to be as close as I could to the Blessed Mother, uh, to live in imitation of her, even though I fail miserably every day at that, and to receive, when I was ready, to receive Jesus in the Eucharist. And I knew that that would be the most healing, loving act of my life every day, and I knew that. And... So at some point, I sort of had to, I, there were other beliefs of the Catholic Church that I was not on board with at all. I didn't understand the all-male priesthood. Uh, I didn't understand some of their um, other other things, but my, my issues were never theological. They were more, um, you know, it was it was different for me. Let me, uh, at the risk of again digressing, um, was the eternity of hell something that was hard for you to accept, or was that a theological issue that went down easy? I think the eternity of hell. I don't. 
I, I didn't think about it. I didn't think that when I came into the church that I was doing anything for my immortal soul. Uh, that came much later. I didn't, I didn't have a sense of, of initially when I entered the church, I didn't have a good sense of sin. I obviously had been incredibly moved by grace, mm-hmm. but did not have a sense of sin, didn't have a sense of my own personal sin. And, and as a matter of fact, when I entered the church, I said to myself, one of the things I was never going to do was go to confession. And because I'd been unbaptized, I did not have to go to confession uh, before I entered the church. And I thought, well, I'll just sort of pick and choose what I want to do once I enter this church, because really all I wanted to do was receive Jesus in the Eucharist. And shortly after I entered the church, uh, the priest who baptized me, who was doing my spiritual direction and still does at times, um, I asked him what to do with the parts of the Bible that I didn't understand. And he said, pray for understanding. And that blew me away that there might be something that I didn't believe in or did, or thought was wrong. And um, because that was really my question, what do I do with the parts of the Bible that I think are wrong? And he said, you pray for understanding. And that that was, uh, I was arrogant enough to believe that what I believed was correct and anything outside of my belief system was wrong. And so I decided at that point to believe and live as if everything the Catholic Church was taught was true. And I'm a scientist, so I did an experiment, and I said, you know, let me live this way and see what happens to my life. And all of the, all of the, the loneliness and the pain and the confusion of living a sin-filled life began to disappear. And I began more and more to, my intellect began to be cleared more and more. And I came to see that there is a truth, that there's a, there is one truth. And that living under that one truth was the greatest gift that, that the Lord could ever give any of us. And so uh, it was during this process that you came to an understanding of what constituted sin and, and behaviors that should be changed? Absolutely. Absolutely. As a matter of fact, I'll, I'll tell a funny story that I don't know that my spiritual director thought was so funny at the time. But after a few months of being Catholic, I came to him and I said, you know what, I'm ready to go to confession. And he said, okay, because he hadn't pushed me. And I, and I thought that that was really very beautiful. He knew I knew the teaching, but he hadn't pushed me. And I, so we made an appointment for a Friday afternoon. And I went, and because I certainly wasn't ready to go yet to wait online or anything. And, and I said, well, I'm going to sin this weekend. And he said, well, you can't actually come <laughs> and confess in advance <laughs> and then still do it, you know. <laughs> so we had a discussion as to my um, behavior and, and what I was planning on doing that weekend. And... And really coming to an understanding that if I was going to live a, a Catholic Christian life, that I had to make a different choice. And, and he, you know, we talked about the times that I had made the wrong choices and he did give me absolution and, and I went forward and, and changed and my, you know, that weekend changed. What I was planning on doing obviously changed. And, and now I see, I see the gift of confession as really 
second up there to the Eucharist in terms of what the Catholic Church has has given me um, for my happiness and for my growth in virtue, and that and that's really, um, like I said, not an, exactly an easy path, uh, not exactly a, a quick one, um, but but certainly the the sacraments, including confession, including my own. Um, Seeing things differently, seeing my own sinfulness, and and now of course desiring to go to heaven and avoid hell. Yeah, because especially, you after, say, especially after a visit to Fatima. <laughs> uh, you say uh, you know not a not a easy path, but in fact it's the only path. It's certainly yes, it's so certainly that, the only path, the, and the only path and it works. The only path that gets right. to the right destination. <laughs> right. It's the only path. And I think though what one sees and and I'm not in any way comparing myself to any of the great saints, but so many of them on their deathbed felt that they could have done more. And I think that that's one one thing about the Catholic life is that one never thinks that one has one is holy enough or or saved enough or, or you know enough. Right. With one exception, let me give a little digression. Uh, but the um, to very uh, well. Anyway, I'll I'll tell the story and then tell why I'm telling the story. Saint Louis de Montfort, who probably most of the listeners know for his true devotion to Mary and for his tremendous uh, kind of um, evangelization of of the role of Mary. Uh, he died at about the age of 45. Exa- basically, he worked himself to death. He just kind of, you know, ran full, full tilt all the time in his missions, in his evangelization, and just wore himself out and collapsed in an armchair at about 40, the age of 45, and just died of exhaustion. And his last words were, "Good, at least now I won't sin anymore." <laughs> <laughs> and one of the great uh, graces that I find from uh, confession and frequent confession is that. Uh, as the bigger, more disgusting sins kind of drop away, there's a continuous stream of ever more subtle sins. So you never run out of sins to confess. It's a gradual process of purification, but you never you never stop sinning. You just become aware, uh, you know, please God, that you become aware as the bigger sins go away of smaller sins that you're committing. But you can be a, a great saint like Louis de Montfort, you know, and on your deathbed say, okay, now at least I won't sin again. Right, and I think that, excuse me, and I think that that's, you know, when you look at at, uh, both, I think, Blessed Mother Teresa and Blessed to be St. John Paul, these are people who went to confession very frequently, you know, I I mean, rumors are daily and weekly, you know, and I really, I think the fact that the church offers this, we really need to be, we really need to be utilizing this and understand, especially now, when the lines for the confessional are so short, I think that there that we need to be on them in a little more frequent way. I also, you know, I started going to daily mass before I was even Catholic. Before I was even received into the church, I was going to daily mass. I still to this day, I I understand when I see daily mass goers that it's it's a certain vocation and and we play a certain role in the world, but I also can't understand um schedules, work schedules and um you know, mother and father parental schedules. I understand the demands of daily life. Notwithstanding, I can't understand why anybody wouldn't want to desire, wouldn't desire to go to daily Mass and have daily communion with Jesus uh, in the Eucharist. 
That, to me, is a mystery. Does a day without Mass or without communion feel different than a day um, after Mass or communion? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and um, you know, that the saying that I, I like to try to remember is that when I receive in the morning, I spend my whole day in Thanksgiving. And when I'm going to receive in the evening, and that depends on my work schedule because of the Mass schedule here, when I'm going to receive in the evening, I spend all day looking forward to receiving. And so the day becomes becomes either this, you know, anticipation or thanksgiving for the Eucharist. Wow. So I know also that um, pilgrimage has played a um, significant role in your life. Pilgrimage has played a very important role, and I think... Um, you know, I come from a divorced family, and I think that for me, the first time that I, and it wasn't the first pilgrimage I went on, but the first time I walked into St. Peter's Basilica and understood how long the Catholic Church had been in existence, what it had lived through in terms of, I think they were Saracens riding their horses through the Basilica at some point, um, how universal our church is, and yet how the Mass is the Mass, wherever you are, for me has been a tremendous comfort, as well as a tremendous education, as well as a tremendous way to meet and share with other people. Mm -hmm. And uh, I really, I, I heavily encourage anybody who hasn't been on pilgrimage, to, to go, and it doesn't matter whether it's something that's 30 miles away or whether it's the Holy Land, the experience of meeting Catholics from around the world is just, uh, for me, the, to, to know that I'm part of a universal church and a truth bigger than myself and, mm -hmm. and the people I know here is wonderful. I, I know that the first time I went to Rome and, and um, you know, spent as much time as I could <laughs> in St. Peter's and so forth, I felt... I don't know if I can describe this, but I felt like the Catholic Church was like a spider web that spanned the entire world, and it, this was the center of that web. And it's mm. like the fabric, the, the fabric of all of humanity, the fabric of the whole world, was a kind of, um, uh, you know, was 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 knotted together there. That that was the center of it all. That's beautiful. That's I also, beautiful. by the way, um, uh, I, you know, we're about the same age. And the first time I went to Rome on pilgrimage, I had the pleasure of being in the general audience, you know, and, and seeing the uh, uh, Pope John Paul II at the time. And that, of course, had a profound kind of undescribable but profound effect on my inner life. And so I want to kind of invite you to walk through that door if, if you have anything to say about your first exposure to Pope John Paul II. My first exposure to John Paul II was actually, I had gone to Rome, actually at the gift of my mother for my, um, shortly after my 40th, I think it was actually for my 40th birthday, because she had been to Italy and knew how much it would mean to me as a Catholic. And I was able to, at the last minute, get tickets to a beatification when he was doing a lot of beatifications at St. Peter's when he was still reasonably healthy. And the experience of being at a papal mass and later that week at a papal audience was um, just really profound for me to be in his presence. And I went many times after that, not many, I should say several, um, 
times after that, and through a friend of mine who was a seminarian is now a priest, and uh, through the grace of God and the Blessed Mother, because it took a lot of praying of memorars, I was actually able to meet John Paul and get his blessing in an audience um, towards the end of his life, and um, it was just a couple years before he passed, and to have him bless me and to hold his hand and to get a chance to thank him was absolutely beautiful and um, moved my heart in a very deep way. And then even more than that, I think, in a sense, because when he passed, he was the only pope I ever knew. I mean, I can remember from my childhood when John, when uh, Pope Paul VI came to New York City, I can remember that in my mind, but certainly he, Pope John Paul was the only pope I knew as a Catholic. And so when he died, I, I felt a tremendous emptiness and... And a tremendous, I didn't know where the church was going to go now. And then when Benedict became the Holy Father, I was overjoyed, but I also felt a sense of, well, I wanted to go to Rome and and be able to be in his presence. And our Lord honored that desire of mine, and I was able to go uh, the first year that he celebrated Holy Week. I was able to go to that. And again, just being in the presence of the Holy Father and being there in the square and feeling holiness radiate out from Benedict and how sweet he was and the caring that he had for the rest of the world and how much that came across during his mass. It was really beautiful for me to see the continuity. And uh, he was able again um, at another opportunity to go to Holy Week with Pope Benedict and I really enjoyed those opportunities and his audiences and and then this year, when Pope Francis got elected, I thought, well, surely I'm never going to, you know, be, I'm not going to go back there. And uh, at this point, I'd been discerning religious life. And, and yet, um, the priest here made a comment to me about uh, going to Italy to pray about something. And I thought, well, I'll look into um, going to Italy to pray. And, and, I did, and I was able to go to an audience. It was actually the first audience of Pope Francis. It was his first general audience, and was able to be in the front row and and um, shake his hand and greet him and thank him and be greeted by him. And so the Lord has really blessed me in, in that way, and it's been a, a wonderful part of my faith. He certainly has. I'm afraid that some of our listeners, maybe me included, will have to chill out now to kind of overcome the temptation towards a kind of holy jealousy of of all of these um, spectacular graces. Um, I think we probably should uh, take a short break, as we usually do on the show, a, a short musical interlude. Um, let me say that this is, I'm Roy Shoman. this is Salvation is from the Jews on Radio Maria. We have as our guest today, uh, Dr. Claire, who is a um, uh, a uh, medical doctor, uh, a professor at a, a medical school uh, with a largely Jewish background who is now a fervent Catholic, and we've been talking to her about what led her into the Catholic Church and the pearl of great price that she has found there. And I look very much forward to continuing our conversation on the other side of the break. Perhaps we can pick up with a little teaser you left about discerning religious life. I certainly want to at least um, kind of address that aspect of your conversion. But for now, let's, let's take a musical break, and we'll be back in two or three minutes. This is Salvation is from the Jews with Roy Shoman on Radio Maria.
You're listening to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. We now return to a rebroadcast of Salvation is from the Jews with Roy Showman. Hi, welcome back. This is Roy Showman with Salvation is from the Jews on Radio Maria. And we are talking today with a friend of mine who is also a very grateful Jewish entrant into the Catholic Church, uh, Dr. Claire. And uh, before the break, she, she graced us with the story of her witness testimony of how she entered the Catholic Church and, and a few details about, about her, um, frankly, about her interior life, about what the sacraments mean to her and so forth. And in passing, just before the break, shortly before the break, she uh, let slip something about discerning religious life. And that's where I would like to pick up because I think it's very uh, compelling to me and perhaps to some of our listeners, too, that here a um, you know a young woman who, in some sense, has everything the world has to offer, is not only a well-respected uh, physician, medical practitioner, but actually a, a professor at a medical school. I'm sure I would never dare to ask, but I'm sure making a very healthy uh, salary and um, having a very know, very uh, successful life, and then she uh, turns around and is actually considering something like being a, a cloistered contemplative nun in an impoverished convent. I think that might be something worth talking about. So with another, uh, with that introduction, Claire, uh, maybe maybe you could just talk a little bit about, about what the, your interior life means to you versus your exterior life and what led you to consider uh, discerning religious vocation? Sure. Um, Even before I came into the church, I felt that I had uh, a very deep, and this is not because of any attribute of my own, believe you me, um, a very deep communication with our Lord and obviously with his mother um, since that experience um, by the seaside. And I felt very guided and very um, in communion. And I felt from the from almost the moment after my baptism, uh, and before my baptism, I was very um, aggra- not aggressively. That's probably a bad word, but I was clearly looking for a relationship and looking to get married. And I had been doing uh, some dating and some internet dating. And even after I became Catholic for a little while, I was doing Catholic Internet dating. But I knew deep in my heart, as everybody um, talks about, I knew that uh, Christ was calling me to be his alone. I uh, knew that there was a, and I know that there's a part of my heart that belongs to him that I could never give anybody else. And so I began to look into this idea of a vocation, but at that point, I was not only a practicing physician, but a practicing physician with school loan debt. So religious life wasn't open to me, but I, uh, at least, you know, religious community. But I went and started discerning different situations and just really uh, felt the call, And uh, but none of them were working out, and and um, what I did with my spiritual director and with the with the guidance of the Holy Spirit, 
was drop a rule of life and profess private vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience. And I've been living that life, and I live a life of uh, with a lot of prayer and very deep, very intense prayer that, that sustains me through my active life of being a physician. I spend um, portions of my day praying the Liturgy of the Hours. I, as a matter of fact, do the same prayer regimen as, as many religious orders in terms of praying the Divine Office, praying a daily rosary, a chaplet when I get a chance, and daily mass, all within the context then of also going to work each day, as you said, as a physician with both um, an academic and a practice, with an academic uh, career and a, and a small practice within the university. And I was finally able, through the grace of God and, and, a, and a good job, to pay off my academic, uh, to pay off my school loan debt, and at that point, felt that uh, perhaps our Lord wanted me to leave the world and live in a cloister and live only for Him. And it's a life that very much appeals to me. And two different Carmelite communities were willing to give me a chance at living it, and I absolutely love the cloister. I loved the silence, I loved the prayer, I loved uh, the the absolute pervasive knowledge of belonging to God alone and having nothing interrupt that during the day. But at the at the end of my time, and it became apparent to me that uh, the Lord needed my skills as a physician. I, I do very specialized work you know, that not a whole lot of people in that country do, and it... Um, so I had to turn away from the cloister, and in a sense that uh, breaks my heart, because that's where my heart is, but uh, the Lord wants me here in the world doing his work for him as a physician, and I know he's close to me, he's with me doing this as his blessed mother, and I know that if at some point that changes, I hope uh, that I'll be able to enter community, but right now... Um, and for instance, and I'll, I'll tell this story, and you know, hopefully I was in Mass and even lately praying about this and said to the Lord, I said, you know, I'm kneeling after the song twos and said, Lord, however you want me to serve your people, I will. And not two minutes later, this woman passed out in church and I had to... Um, get up and help her with my skills as a physician. So uh, the Lord makes His ways know, <laughs> known, not just not just by speaking to us um, uh, when we're when we're listening to Him in prayer or during the day, or not just by moving our heart, but sometimes in more obvious ways. Um, I'd, I'd like to use that as a launching pad to uh, talk about a couple of things, if I may. First of sure. all. You said the Lord needed your skills as a physician. I'm sure that's true. But another way to look at that is the Lord was guiding your life from the very beginning, including making you a physician. Yes, and that's, you know, it's an interesting thing as a convert because um, there was a lot during, I, I went to a rather misguided RCIA program, and there was a lot in that program and, and things that come across after that, that there's sort of, as a convert, there's the life before God and then there's the life after God. And 
I don't, for me, I don't find that true at all. When I look back now, I can realize throughout my life the moments when God was with me um, as completely as he is in this moment, um, before I was Catholic, before I was even baptized. I think, I think, I'm sorry, I'm going to get on a soapbox a little bit. I think that, I, I think you're absolutely right. I think that's a, a horrible, in some sense, heresy, this, um, uh, the, the sense that basically divine providence for the, all things work together for the good for those who love God. And that's not for those who are in the moment of loving God. It's for those who will end up loving God for all eternity. In other words, for those who will end up in heaven. God has woven all of our destinies from the beginning through divine providence, even when we were in sin, even before our conversion and so forth. And, I mean, you have that famous poem, The Hound of Heaven. You have St. Augustine and his confessions. It's not like, you know, God only started paying attention to St. Augustine, you know, when he turned to God. Or you have you have um, Charles de Foucault, who's another saint, who had a fairly depraved life before his conversion. But everything in that depraved life, look at St. Ignatius of Loyola, you know, being the extremely brave, daring soldier, and then taking all of that self-discipline and all of that training and all of that commitment that he was using in the arts of warfare and turning it into Jesuits. I mean, I mean, God's weaving our lives from the beginning and, and please God, it may end up in the right place, but it doesn't mean he only starts weaving it when we're already in the right, right place. Right. And I, and I think that's very true. I think though also there's then the tendency for some other people to go the other way. I mean, I spent a lot of time in the new age which was, you know, God is with us always, God's inside me always, even when I'm reading these tarot cards or doing something, and it's like, well, no, that's not actually God. <laughs> that's a spirit of darkness. <laughs> well, let me, let me you know? rant about that a little bit, too, which is, um, which is um, God can speak to us, and God does speak to us. The devil can speak to us. The devil can speak to us and, you know, kind of imitate the voice of God, so to speak. In other words, claim he's God or even, uh, you know, it's a horrible thought, proclaim he's the Blessed Virgin Mary. And he can talk in our heads and fool us and stuff, but he doesn't control providence. He doesn't control, he doesn't control our destinies. He doesn't control what happens to us. So you gave that lovely story of um, being in church and asking God, you know, I, I, I'll serve you any way you want, and then the woman in the next pew keels over, and you have to, you know, serve her as a physician. Um, you know, God, God is much more likely to be working through events. The, the adversary can't actually work through events because he can't control what happens other than with the permission of God. Although he can talk inside our heads. You see what I mean? So that's that's right. And but I, I think that it's I think those those are absolutely wonderful distinctions. And the point, I just don't want, I don't know who's listening to this, and I don't want everybody to instantaneously think that every voice we hear inside our heads is one that we should absolutely, absolutely. follow, right? I'm, I'm a thousand percent with you. Um, right. As a matter of fact, the more supernatural the voice, the more we should be suspicious of it. Right, exactly, um, which is what, you know, of course, St. John of the Cross said, right, that we should put all of this down because, you know. Absolutely, but but just like I, I wouldn't want any listener to think they should listen to the voices, I wouldn't want any listener to think that God isn't behind everything that happens to them. That's right. You know, that's so, right. so that's why it's such a beautiful kind of like um, 
uh, dichotomy or, you know, a totally black and white, you know, the voices in your head, definitely suspect. What happens, everything that happens is divine providence. That's right. And that's one of the beautiful teachings of the Catholic Church and one of the beautiful things I've come to understand. And and I watch myself versus other non-Catholic people in my life, and I watch um, the teachings and uh, the way that God has shown us uh, the meaning of suffering and how to handle suffering in our lives. And I think in some sense, that may be one of the biggest graces, if not the biggest grace that that Catholic Church teaching has given me is is you know how do how do we get through our day? what happens um you know i I see people who struggle with that concept. why do bad things happen to good people you know and 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 the Catholic Church gives us the answer to that and and living in that knowing of suffering as a gift of God in order to bring us closer to him and being able to know that whether I'm in pain or whether somebody has passed or whether just, um, you know, I know a couple who's struggling with their marriage, to be able to give that over to God, to thank him for whatever he gives us uh, is just such an invaluable gift of the Catholic Church that I don't see anybody else um knowing and sharing the way we do the tremendous value of suffering. I don't think I don't think anyone else has the answer to that other than the the certainly Christianity but more specifically the Catholic Church and the mystery of suffering is that basically it's it's a central mystery to everyone's life and in some sense a central mystery behind every religion whether they address it successfully or not and only only Christianity addresses it successfully, and only when it's absolutely correct Christianity, which is only guaranteed within the Catholic Church. And if you ask the question, why do bad things happen to good people? Um, however strung out one gets with that question, all one has to do is look at the passion of Christ to see the answer, because you don't get many better people than Christ, and you don't get more worse things happening to them than the passion. That's right. That's right. And and you know, in a sense that to me, to me that Christ on the cross and also Christ after the beatitudes when he teaches those beautiful teachings. And he says, you know, basically the friend of mine who's a priest and he's got a really bad Jersey accent says, if you're not getting persecuted, you're not preaching the gospel. You know, that, that guaranteed sense of suffering and persecution will come to you as part of love. Well, the uh, uh, St. Padre Pio is famous for uh, having the expression or, or saying frequently, if we only knew the true value of suffering, we would never pray for anything else. Right. Um, since Since you're, at least in some sense, Jewish, I think of you as Jewish now, even if it's only half Jewish, um, and I'm Jewish. Let me, um, and we're coming close to the end of the show. Let me read a quote from St. Dieter Stein, who's probably the poster child for Jewish Catholics, uh, being a, uh, um, you know, the, the patron saint of Europe and, and a very high-ranking saint and being a Jewish convert. And, of course, she, she perished in Auschwitz. I mean, I mean, uh, it wasn't exactly that as the passion of Christ, but it was certainly not an attractive form of suffering. 
And let me read a couple of quotes of hers along these lines. First of all, with respect to divine providence, this is a quote of St. Stein. Whatever did not fit in with my plan did lie within the plan of God. I have an ever deeper and firmer belief that nothing is merely an accident when seen in the light of God, that my whole life, down to the smallest details, has been marked out for me in the plan of divine providence. End of quote. And she not only talked the talk, of course, she walked the walk because she's she's famous for en route to the concentration camp um, in the in the midst of this horrible suffering and a lot of frankly somewhat abandoned children because their parents were non-functional because of the amount of suffering. Just loving, being gentle, being calm, and taking care of other people. Um, I'll read another uh, two quotes of hers. Uh, it is not human activity that can save us, but the sufferings of Christ. To take part in these is my aspiration. And uh, finally, I joyfully accept in advance the death God has appointed for me in perfect submission to his most holy will. May the Lord accept my life and my death for his honor and glorification, for the atonement of the unbelief of the Jewish people, and for this, that the Lord may be accepted by his own people, and that his kingdom may come in glory. And, of course, in the long run, that's what it's all about. But anyway, um, I didn't mean to take up that much of your time, Claire. So uh, we have, uh, you know, two or three more minutes. Do you have any final words of wisdom for our audience? Well, I do. And in keeping with the theme of the show, what I'd really like to say is one of the things about my becoming Catholic, and since I've become Catholic, I feel that I... You know, I've really, I found myself in terms of I was very much a feminist and I really found myself as a woman within the church and the teachings of the church and the saints of the church. And I really found my Judaism in a way since coming into the church, especially since visiting the Holy Land and really realizing the gifts that our Lord has poured out upon the Jewish people and how important it is for us to pray for the conversion of the Jewish people, um, both individually and collectively, and because because of the fulfillment of Judaism in the Catholic Church and in Christ's coming. And um, I want to thank you for the opportunity to speak today. Well, thank you, Claire. And I certainly couldn't have said it nearly as well myself. That's what the show is all about. It's about the real meaning of being Jewish, the incredible gift and grace that God has given to the Jewish people, and the uh, potential gift that they have in joining the church, and the need to pray for the conversion of the Jews, so that, as St. Dieter Stein said in that quote I read a moment ago, that the Lord may be accepted by his own people, and that his kingdom may come in glory. So, thank you very much, Claire. And maybe an appropriate way to end the show would be with a short prayer for the conversion of the Jews. This is from the breviary, the Catholic breviary, a week for Christian unity, day six, which used to be dedicated to praying for the conversion of the Jews. So let me just uh, close by reading this prayer. And again, thank you very much, Claire. And thank you very much to our listeners for having tuned in. And I hope very much that you join me again next week for salvation is from the Jews. And now the prayer from the breviary. O God, who manifests your mercy and compassion towards all peoples, have mercy upon the Jewish race from the outset, your chosen people. 
You selected them alone out of all the nations of the world to be the custodians of your sacred teachings. From them you raised up prophets and patriarchs to announce the coming of the Redeemer. You will that your only Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, should be a Jew according to the flesh, born of a Jewish maiden in the land of promise. Listen to the prayers we offer you today for the conversion of the Jewish people. Grant that they may come safely to a knowledge and love of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah foretold by their prophets, and that they may walk with us in the way of salvation. Amen, and thank you, and join us again next week on Salvation is from the Jews. Bye for now. You're listening to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. The program you just heard was a rebroadcast of Salvation is from the Jews with Roy Showman.